I like to carry it around like an excuse. That way I can look at all my ears at hunting fool and be like, well, the reason I didn't kill anything this year is because I bow hunted, right? There's nothing that gives you better experience than killing animals. When you take a guy on one of these super top-end trophy bull hunts, and he's never killed anything with a bow. Montana is a great state to build bonus points for. And again, remember Montana's part preference draw for the hunting license. Any elk you take is a trophy, especially when the average success is, you know, 10 to 20 percent. Hey guys, this is Robert Hanneman with the Hunt Full Magazine, and I'm excited to be here today with the Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. There's a lot of people that can pull the trigger on an animal, but they don't know what to do with it after. If you would have told me that a stupid turkey was going to make me get that excited, I would have told you you were crazy. It's just a skill that you have to perfect over a lot of years. Hunting is a tribal activity. We've lost the tribe. We can't even hunt together anymore. Well, the people that are anti-hunting are usually pro-abortion. So kill the people, save the animals. I just remember riding my horse back to camp with the northern lights and the moose behind me, and I'm like, this is why I've done this. This is as cool as an experience as I will get. Hi, this is Jim Shockey. This is Sam Sohol, the public land bus guy. Hi, I'm Kimmy Greentree. Hi, this is South Cox with the Western Bowhunter Podcast. Hey, this is Ben Dedamonte, a.k.a. Shed Crazy. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, y'all. So I know this is one that a lot of y'all are waiting for. We are going to now move on to my absolute favorite species to hunt here with Jared Lyle and Robert Hanneman of Hunt and Fool. And we are going to talk about elk. We're going to talk about, honestly, let's face it, like the most romantic big game draw there is. It's hard, you know, I know people will argue all day between mule deer and elk, but I feel like for me, elk is definitely my favorite species. And I think it's kind of the big romantic species that gets a lot of people into hunting. So excited to talk about elk today, guys. Thank you so much for hopping on. 
Yeah, thanks for having us. No, no problem. All right. So this, like I said, this is the one that got me. Elk got me like I, you know, I'd sat in a tree stand once or twice for some deer before, but the day I talked to my, my buddy at work, uh, I told him you know, I was getting into hunting and he had some pictures of elk up and, and I, I remember talking to him and going, man, someday, you know, I would love to do that. And he looks at me and he's like, well, and this was like, I, this was like this time, actually, it was right around this time. Uh, I want to say three or four years ago. And I'm talking to him. I'm like, Oh man, this would be so cool. But, uh, I just, you know, I haven't been hunting for 50 years. I don't have thousands of dollars. Uh, there's no way I could go. There's no way I could go do this. And he looks at me, he's like, you could go hunt elk this year. No problem. I'm like, what? And so this is, you know, this is the one that got me into it. I fell in love with that romantic archery elk hunt idea and the bugling bulls and all that. And I watched way too many YouTube videos and <laughs> probably should have hunted pronghorn first. Um, but I'm a sucker for elk. I always will be. I know a lot of other people are. So as we've been doing it, somebody calls you up and says, man, this dude at work, he sold me on elk. I want to start hunting them. What do I, what do I got to do to get into elk here? I want to, I want to hunt them every year. And I want to, I want a chance at least once in my life at that just giant ass bowl. What you know? What's my plan? Who who wants who wants to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, like like Robert said on the last call with deer, and this is true for almost every species. First question I'm going to have is, you know, what weapon are we talking about? Uh, we got a lot more interest in archery elk than any other species as far as archery specific interest goes, right? And get to chase them during the rut, they're bugling. So uh, um, a big portion of our calls come in, they're interested in archery, but that's the very first question. Like what, what weapon are we talking about? Because then it changes a lot of the landscape on terms of where you should be applying, um, how long your wait's gonna be, what your opportunities look like, et cetera, what your season dates look like, you name it, right? So I'll go ahead and assume that you said archery. Um, Cause I, that's my favorite thing to do. I run around with a stick. and I like to carry it around like an excuse. That way I can look at all of my ears at hunting fool and be like, well, the reason I didn't kill anything this year is cause I bow hunted. Right. Um, so I love archery. I spent more time looking at archery. Um, Robert is a multi-weapon guy. Uh, he can get it done with everything. So I'll assume it's an archery call. You know, I think the first, the way we've been doing these podcasts, the first thing is like opportunity, right? Where, where can you hunt every year? And I think that we have to start with, a significant change that Idaho made this year. Robert touched on it in the deer podcast, but it didn't impact the deer hunts quite as much as we even thought it would, but it really significantly impacted the elk zones in Idaho. And basically they kind of tried to break up non-resident pressure and spread it out across the state. And when they did that, you know, these tags for the for the upcoming year, they go on sale December 1 of the previous calendar year. So on December 1, we all jumped online to try to buy our Idaho 2021 elk tags, and it was a disaster. It basically <laughs> turned into a draw. I'm guessing that Idaho's going to adjust that for the upcoming year. They got a lot of pressure and heat. But bottom line is Idaho's not near as accessible as it once was, particularly for the coveted zones that sort of historically have the best elk habitat and, and attract most of the archery pressure, like the Lemhi zone and the pioneer and the beaver head and some of that at uh, a central Idaho stuff, East central. Anyway, uh, long story short, if you want to get an Idaho plan put together, you're going to have to be quick on the trigger and hope for a little luck to boot. 
uh, going forward. And, and you're going to be ready on De- if Idaho stays with the same course, you're going to be ready on December one of the prior year to buy your Idaho elk tag. Having said that, there are still some tags available in some less desirable zones, some less competitive zones. Um, but Idaho used to be kind of one of my very favorite number ones. And now it's a little bit harder to get a tag. Montana's always near the top of the pile. Again, like Robert said before, with a little bit of strategy, um, we talked about getting deer tags in Montana. It's actually slightly easier to get an elk tag, an elk only license. So Sam, you touched on it before. There's three different combo tags in Montana, right? There's a deer only, there's a deer elk combo, and then there's an elk only. And if you go for the elk only, there's usually a little bit less pressure for that, a little bit better odds. And within one to two years, you're pretty much guaranteed to, to draw yourself a Montana elk tag. So Mon- Montana would be high up there on the opportunities as well. And then uh, Colorado, of course, you can get tags very easily. There's the over-the-counter archery hunts as well as easy to draw, you know, zero to four point units, et cetera. So those are kind of the entry-level ones along with Wyoming, but Wyoming's an interesting state. I'm sure Robert will have a lot more insight on it than I'll have. Wyoming at this point, if you're coming into it, it's getting to be a mature point system in my opinion, and you probably shouldn't have a long-term point strategy. You should probably build enough points to draw out a tag, even if it's their general license, which covers a big portion of the state of Wyoming, gives you a ton of hunt opportunity for both archery and rifle when you draw that. Right now it's, you know, two to four points is going to secure it depending on which price you come in at. So those are my opportunity states. Uh, I'll let Robert provide some feedback on what he thinks of that. Well, and and like, so I, I love Jared's plan and uh, you know, I kind of, I'll tell guys the same thing. You want to hunt elk, let's get you set up. And you want to hunt elk every year. That's your thing. And this can go archery, you know, or it could go rifle. Um, but if you want to hunt elk, say every year, kind of do what Jared talked about. My, t- my advice for them is start December 1st, go all in on Idaho, pick your elk tag, either archery or rifle, go for it. If you don't get it and you don't get one that you like, then your next application deadline coming up is going to be Wyoming, which is typically the end of January, beginning of February. And you're going to apply for a tag there. You're going to upfront all your money. They're going to sit on that for a long, long time. <laughs> well, why we're sitting there waiting to see about those draw results. And even like Wyoming being, you know, putting in, if you go in that there's two draws, special, more expensive, the general, you know, the general, you're typically in that 15 to 20% odds are drawn it every year. The special is almost 50%. So whatever you decide there, we go all in on that. Then I'm going to come to Montana, you know, typically around April 1st, and I'm going to put in for my general deer and elk tags there. Now, Montana is going to turn that back around really quick and say, hey, congratulations, you drew your tag. That's going to be prior to May 10th, which is the last day Wyoming will allow me to modify my application. So if I get my Montana elk tag, now I'm like, sweet, I'm going to withdraw my Wyoming app because now I'll have a, another point when I buy one this summer to get me down the road further. And I'm going to go all in on, you know, Montana. Now, for some reason, if I blank out on Idaho, blank out on Montana, now I'm going all in on Wyoming. And if I don't draw my Wyoming tag, then I'm going to go to Colorado. Like Jared said, second and third rifle season, they're going to have some stuff available. They're also going to have, you know, archery available. Those over-the-counter tags can have a tremendous amount of pressure. There are some limited draw units, like Jared talked about, take one to four points where you can be hunting a unit that's very similar to an over-the-counter unit 
for the size of bulls you're going to be hunting, but you're not dealing with the population of hunters. So I'm going to go for one of those, you know, on a year. So, so say I get my, my general tag over the counter that year, Colorado's my hunt, but on the years in between, I'm building points in Colorado for, you know, maybe one year I decide to go all in on that. Same with Wyoming. I'm always building points in Montana. I'm always building points. So that's kind of my four year rotation. Um, Oregon still for 2022, a guy can pick up an over the counter archery oak tag and hunt the Eastern half of Oregon. So like this year, a guy could do that starting next year. That's going to go to a draw. So just like anything else, everything changes. So if I'm not so much looking for long-term strategies, you know, trying to draw a tag to kill a giant bull, I'm just going to do a, a pretty good rotation of Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, and I'm just going to continue to hunt those units, learn them. You know, you get better every time you go back and then maybe look at like New Mexico because there is no preference points and maybe throw in for a special tag there. And if I draw one, then that's going to be my tag. If you decide like I'm long-term, I'm all in, I'm already buying a license in Arizona, Utah, in Nevada, then go ahead and put in for elk there. But those are long-term states. You know, I've drawn my elk tag in Nevada. I've drawn two in Arizona. I've still never drawn Utah, almost two decades of applying. So those three states are giant bull potential for a lot of units, but, you know, once or twice a lifetime getting a tag. Where New Mexico, it's just sheer luck. There's no bonus point system, you know. So that would be my kind of rotation for the West, either rifle or archery. I mean, you could just do it like me and draw Arizona on three points like I did. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, <laughs> I, it took me a full day before I believed I'd actually done it. I was like, nah, it's a mistake. Nah, it's a mistake. Uh, but that's that's this this bowl right here behind me. Um, oh, yeah. Of course, of course, it's like the worst rut Arizona's had in 17 years. But that's a that's a different story. Um, <laughs> but uh, one thing I would love if maybe we could just touch on really quick it, is for a lot of people just want to go out. They just want to hunt elk. They want to have the a little bit of the experience, but aren't necessarily looking, they don't have to shoot a bull. I think there's also a lot of opportunities as well for if somebody wants to hunt every year or just do a meat hunt for cow tags, things like that. Is that something we could touch on really quick as well? Dropping bombs on moms. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I am so stealing that. That is dear Lord. That is horrible and wonderful at the same time. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity uh, for cow hunting, you know, throughout the West and it's gotten super popular with the whole COVID thing and meat shortage and knowing where your meats comes from, you know, it's gotten really popular. And when you get into States, you know, down Nevada, Utah, um, States where we say we don't have wolves or big predator populations, you know, there's a lot more cow hunting opportunities. And even up in the, uh, the, the West where we do have predators, when you get into ranchers that have big, you know, alfalfa fields, things like that, you get depredation tags. So, I mean, cow hunting is something you can do. A lot of the States um, will have separate cow draws where you're putting in for a bull, then you're putting in for cows. Um, States like Arizona, you know, it's all equal. Your points are your points. So, I mean, if it's something you want to do, it's usually cheaper. It's better draw odds. You know, the success rate, you know, is based on kind of what you're going to put into it. But like Jared, I know you guys have done a lot of cow hunting here recently in Utah and they seem to have, you know, they want to have hunters be the most successful. They're using this as a population reduction tool. 
So a lot of times you're hunting later season dates when the snow is pushing these animals down into more accessible areas. But um, like, I know that a lot of people do it. It's a great way to fill the freezer. Um, you know, we've killed a number of cows over the years. Uh, the last three years, I've literally shut the cow hunting down in my family because the boys are killing <laughs> everything else and filling the freezer full of uh, like this year, I think the boys killed three bulls and they wanted to uh, shoot a cow too. And I said, no, but <laughs> on a normal, on a normal year, we'd be like, whatever it takes to fill the freezer. But no, I mean, cow hunting is, is definitely gotten, you know, really popular in the West. Um, I think it's fine shooting cows. I'm against shooting mule deer does. That's just my two cents. I, I second that, by the way, uh, on both counts. Yeah, no, um, antlerless elk hunts, you know, in, and even in some states like Montana, you can draw a B tag and have it at that. Then you have two elk tags right in your pocket. So, and to Robert's point, a lot cheaper. A lot of those are on private land or areas where they've got, you know, sort of private land owner conflict stuff. So, you know, do your research when you're looking at draw odds for those and make sure that you're going to be able to get access, you know, through block management program like Montana does or hunter management areas and those types of things. But I love, I love antlerless hunts too. I think we had our knives in four cows in the last like seven days or whatever. So, um, and, and uh, they're fine table fare and, and it's a good population control method. And I think, you know, when it comes to, if you're going to, like, if you're a little intimidated to come out on your first elk hunt and you're really on a budget, an antlerless elk hunt is an, is a pretty good way to go. I mean, I think they start around 1500 bucks and, you know, top out around three grand. Um, and the, the, the success rate is virtually a hundred percent. So typically speaking, if, if you really want to just get your very first toe in the water hunting elk and you want to do it on a tight budget with high success, an antlerless hunt's a really good way to go. Now, just a touch on that real quick, but he's given those prices. That's a fully guided cow hunt. Yep. That's not like a do-it-yourself hunt. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, very, very much a fully guided hunt with high success rates. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was about to, about to clarify. And I think, you know, it's, you make a good point because you can get so much of that elk hunting experience on an antlerless hunt. Yeah, you're not you're not necessarily calling in the bowl, shooting the bowl all up close while it's snorting and stamping and all of that stuff, but you're still out in the field and you're still seeing these herds. You're still seeing them do what they do and hearing them sometimes. And uh, I think it's a cool way to get that experience. Yeah. For a less intimidating and a much more budget friendly sort of hunt. Yeah. Now on that same topic about shooting cows most of your archery elk hunts that are going to be over the counter or you know some of these easier to draw ones are going to be an either sex tag um, so you can shoot a cow or bull um, if you're just getting into elk hunting and you're all archery and you're not a rifle hunter um, i tell guys all the time like if you get a cow at 20 yards put an arrow through it there's nothing that gives you better experience than killing animals and I would rather take a guy on an Arizona hunt or a Nevada hunt who's killed two or three cows and four or five raghorns. I have done it and I don't want to do it again. When you take a guy on one of these super, you know, top end trophy bull hunts and he's never killed anything with a bow and a bull gets into 20 or 30 yards and every mistake you probably would have learned from on a smaller animal or a cow, he is making in front of a 350 plus bull. <laughs> Yeah, while I'm while I'm peeing down my leg, type of thing, right? Oh, exactly. Now that's that's an excellent point. Yeah, the experience counts for a lot. And you know, one thing since you've mentioned that a lot of your listeners are you know e east and Midwest, 
you, you know, you get used to, for, if it is your first time coming out, again, an antlerous hunt can be a really good option because it's more akin to what your experience is with harvest success on whitetails. If you have enough time and a decent chunk of property, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, you name it, they're basically managing it such that you're going to get your deer, right? That is not true for elk in the West, particularly, uh, except for these antlerless population control management hunts, right? I, Idaho can't afford for everybody that, that buys an archery elk tag to come out and kill an elk. They uh, Elk hunting would be shut down in a few years. So it's closer to one out of 10 is going to come out and actually kill an elk. And that could even be, and that, that factors in antlerless harvest as well into that. So if you want to kind of come out and have an experience closer to what you've had in the past, be pretty sure you're going to get one, fill the freezer, start that hunt. It's a great way to go. Um, if you're not going to do that, I would just really like to encourage anybody who's coming out for the first time to recognize that those harvest success statistics are not anything like what you're used to from a deer hunting point of view, uh, where basically if you hunt long enough on the right property, you're you're going to get one. It's an interesting thing to explain to a lot of people, um, whether, you know, they're back East or they've never hunted before. And, uh, they're, they're like, okay, yeah. So you pay all this money, money to go hunt. What happens if you don't get one, you tack that uh, tag to your wall. So you have to walk by it every day when you leave the house <laughs> and you make sure you yep. damn sure you get one next year. <laughs> <laughs> it's a walk of shame. No, it happens all the time. Like I said, eight to nine out of 10 go home empty handed. And it has to be that way or else, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the seasons that we do. We wouldn't have the populations that we do. So I actually like that. Um, I think that's a cool thing and I've eaten way more tags than I've ever filled. Um, But you know, it it is a hard adjustment that first few times. Sometimes if you don't come out with the right attitude and right mindset, Mm -hmm. especially on elk, they will humble you on archery. Oh, that they will. And elk are big animals. They cover a lot of country. They're pretty nomadic. You know, it's not like a whitetail that's living in the same little thicket. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, something happens, wolves come in, whatever, and there's no elk within three or four square miles. You just got to relocate and start over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I won't say, I won't use the words, the adult words that my wife uses when she hunts, when she archery hunts elk with me, but she says some really choice words about their, their typical nature where they just are unpredictable and just pick up and go for a hike. So, and too, like you said, a lot of your members are from the East. There's a lot of elk hunting opportunities, you know, over on the East coast. I mean, depending on what state you live in, a lot of the elk foundations have really done well at you know introducing herds kentucky's got a big herd pennsylvania's got a herd you know guys can apply for those you know if you have elk in your state no matter how long the odds are apply for them there's elk in alaska i mean elk are spread out in a lot of different places so i mean it it's one of those things where anytime you get an opportunity to to go hunt them or you know put in for that the hunt or like we talked about with sheep you know if a guy draws a great tag for Arizona, New Mexico, somewhere you're going to be chasing just stupid giants and go on the hunt, have fun, be part of it, you know, because, you know, and there's, there's, everybody's so caught up on, I want to kill a giant. I want to kill a giant. And I know me and Jared have taken plenty of hunters over the years and they're like, I'm 350 plus, I'm 350 plus. And, you know, we get a 300 inch bone from the first day and they're trying to push us down to shoot it. And it's like, you said no, but (laughs) guys get these pictures in their mind, you know, of how big they think a bull is. And in reality, I mean, any bull is a trophy, any bull's a trophy. And I mean, if you kill six point, that's awesome. So don't worry about numbers. Don't worry about anything else 
just, I mean, any elk you take is a trophy, especially when the average success is, you know, 10 to 20%. Yep. Excellent. Well, and it's, it's funny. Cause like I'll, you know, I mean, you guys can see uh, the guy I took in Arizona this year, a little four point raghorn. Um, but I show that to people that aren't like, you know, in the know about things and, like, you know, I show it to somebody who like knows what an elk is. They've seen elk before, but they're not, you know, they, they don't sit and obsess over them like I do. And they look at that like, oh my gosh, that thing is just so huge. And I tell them, I'm like, yeah, he was, he was big. And I'm like proud as hell that I, that I took that elk, especially with my bow. But I'm like, he's pretty teeny. Like he's a little guy. And they, and they look at me like, are you effing serious? Like, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, this guy was like just a couple of years old. He's not, you know, this was not a big guy. And like, you just see their eyes, like trying to, trying to picture that. And, um, I think we lose that perspective sometimes in that like little sense of wonder when it comes to elk and, and you've been staring at too many big ones on Instagram for way too long. (laughs) Yeah, no, a lot of truth to that. Plus, let's not ignore the fact that they're amazing table fare. So um, I I like to fill my I like to fill at least one elk tag every year. If for no other reason, than they're amazing to eat. I don't have three. I don't have three boys running around out out hunting me right now. Both of my boys have been pretty wrapped up in their personal lives here recently. And I can't get them to produce any meat for me like Robert Hanneman's little meat factory over there. Uh, My kids are just like I said, they live in Montana and. You know, they're just, they, well, the Buffalo filled the freezer. So everything after that got given away. So that's why when they were like, Hey, can we go shoot cows and does? And I say, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> like you've got plenty of meat in the freezer. So no, it's, it's one of those things where when it rains, it, it pours and pretty soon they'll all be in college and I might be starving and asking for some elk meat <laughs> donation from Jared. <laughs> <laughs> one thing Robert and I both touched on Montana um, a little bit and we've, we've kind of danced around it. But one thing I would definitely stress again is if you're an archery hunter, Montana is a great state to build bonus points for. And again, remember Montana is part preference draw for the hunting license part bonus point draw for the actual special permit and definitely it's 25 bucks a year with three four points your odds of drawing like the missouri breaks and uh, the multi-unit eastern montana kind of extravaganza tag that's got piles of units in it that are really good quality hunts it's three or four points you're almost guaranteed those tags so it's a really good value to go ahead and build elk bonus points in montana if you're an archery hunter as Robert pointed out, if you're exclusively a rifle hunter, mm, I'd, I'd argue that you're probably chasing chasing your tail there, even, even at 25 bucks a piece. The one cool thing I just want to add about Montana is if you're just starting out and you're like, man, I just want to archery hunt elk once a year, you know, any of the states are great. But all of a sudden, if you become obsessed and you're trying to hunt two or three states a year, Montana is definitely a state you should be looking at because you take Idaho or Wyoming and you spend your September hunting elk there. Montana archery elk typically doesn't end till mid-October. And I know Jared's killed more bulls in the first week of October than, than I've killed, period. So there's still great hunting to be had in Montana the beginning of October. Just because September ends doesn't mean you have to hang up your bow. There's still screaming bulls to be to be had. Excellent point. Yep. No, and I mean, it. it there's so much opportunity. And, and that extravaganza tag, that's what I was hunting uh, back in 2019. I'm assuming you're talking the 920 tag that's like... It, it, 
the entire freaking yeah, eastern half of the state. Twenty six different units. Yeah, it's the size the of Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think I drew that on like one point or something. It was. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. Um, so much opportunity to hunt, especially like we talked about. I, maybe it was the sheep episode or something. We talked about those block management units that Montana has. Um, there is so much opportunity. Like it, like you said, if you're not, if you're trying to hunt multiple States, you know, and, and you're not hunting Montana at that point, you're crazy. Like it's just, there's too much opportunity and I get it. There's other, other States that are, that cost a little bit less. And so if it's a budget thing, then yeah. But if you, if you can do it, like there's no reason not to be hunting out here for sure. At least build points, you know, just think of that as an investment for your future. Um, so if you had to break it down, like we did with the mule deer and, and kind of give your cohesive plan for, you know, say somebody, I, you know, I can't, I can't hunt my home state for elk or maybe I'm in California and I can't, and I can hunt my home state for elk in like 14 more years. <laughs> but, uh, um, I still have all my Thule, Thule tags. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping maybe one day I've not, I'm not, I haven't totally given up on that, <laughs> but, uh, you know, say somebody can't hunt necessarily in their home state, they want to hunt elk every year and then they want, you know, maybe a decent tag. And then, but then like that primo tag, at least once or twice in their lifetime, what's, what's the plan you're putting together for them? I think we both kind of ran through the, those entry-level states, you know, Idaho, December one, I love Robert's strategy, right? Idaho, December one, if you don't get lucky enough to pick the zone that you want to hunt, then Wyoming application and let that thing cook till May 10th when you can withdraw it up to that time frame. Meanwhile, try to draw Montana. And if you do draw Montana, withdraw your Wyoming. Um, and then if all that fails, Colorado's sitting there with over-the-counter tags available. So that's kind of your entry-level strategy. For me, from a points point of view, and again, I'm going to talk about Wyoming from somebody who's just starting, build enough points to draw a tag and go hunting, right? Don't, don't keep building a bunch of points. Um, Montana, build three or four art points. For an archery guy, again, remember that we're talking archery in Montana in this case, build three or four points, draw the Missouri breaks, draw the 900-20 tag, go hunting. And then Colorado, build four to six points. Don't go past that. It's really, you know, if you look at our draw odds tool, literally there's the like 85% of the hunts you can draw with four to six points. The top 15% are so far out of, out of reach, it's just not even worth trying. Um, Colorado, build points. And then my big states for long-term are Arizona, Nevada. Uh, I already do them in Nevada tag. So I'm like in an eight year waiting period till I can start applying for elk again in Nevada, but Arizona, Nevada. And then like Robert said, if you're already invested in Utah, then it makes sense. But otherwise it's a really long shot for Utah tags for quality tags. No. And, and I agree with Jared on all the early opportunity stuff. Like in Nevada, when I drew my tag, it was a 10 year wait. And then the year I waited my 10 years, they switched it to the seven year wait. So I'm actually three or four points, you know, back into that draw. Um, you know, Nevada, you can put in for five choices. I killed a great bull there. I want to go back and try to kill another one. I think I'll probably get one in my lifetime. Um, New Mexico, because there's no points. That's the yeah. one that I'm oh, going to, you know, swing for, yep. you know, and, and try to draw something good. Um, Arizona, I, I kind of can go both ways on that, you know, because you can go in archery and just chase that, beat that down. 
down. Or, you know, like Garth Jensen's perfect example, drew his archery tag and then he's drawn a rifle tag since then, where most other guys would probably have went right back after archery. And Garth works with us in the office and he killed a great big bull in the late hunt. So those late hunts, you're hunting those same units you're be hunting archery but typically in about half the points um you know in the the gender the the random draw because half the tags go random is pretty good so you know i i drawn two tags already i'm i'm got a bunch of points again i'm trying to draw my next one after that i'll probably just go you know more late rifle that's the method i'm going with my boys you know it's just chasing some late rifle tags um you know i pennsylvania is kind of a dream state just because they kill more 400 inch bulls per number of tags than probably anywhere else so i give them my 25 bucks every year you know and uh you know montana idaho wyoming i think of those as more of my 300 to 330 type bulls not necessarily the super top end with that being said my biggest bull ever came from you know wyoming but that was in a grizzly infested nasty unit <laughs> where no one wants to hunt so it was easier to get that tag so uh, Utah, I scratched my head on Utah. Hmm. I've been applying for Utah for 20 years. Um, and Jared would be in the exact same boat as me if he didn't move there. Um, but, uh, you know, it's really tough to get a non-resident quality tag there. And most of those are, you know, upwards of two decades to draw. Yes, there is some random, but the, your odds are horrible. So, you know, yep. if you're not doing Utah for anything but elk, you're probably, you know, wasting a little bit of time and effort there. Um, but, you know, there's there's big bulls to be had everywhere. I, I totally agree with what you had said in Colorado. If you're not chasing, you know, moose goat or sheep in Idaho, um, it's kind of like New Mexico. There's there's some better units where a guy can be hunting good bulls. And I think with the changes they just made with the elk zones and taking a lot of that hunting pressure out, I think we're going to see older age class bulls and better bulls. And I think you're going to see some, you know, good bulls killed on some of those late hunts, like he said, in the Pioneer and some of those other ones where you know, a couple of years down the road, you could be 10, 15% chance draw at, a, at an October, November rifle bull tag where a guy's chasing a, a solid mature bull. So um, if you're not chasing deer, or excuse me, sheep, moose, and goat, Idaho elk is is probably another one I'd have on my thing, just like New Mexico. The years I had the money, I'd apply. The years I don't, I just skip it because there's no point system. All right, there we go. There is your elk strategy. Is there anything else about elk that we have not covered that we need to make sure, absolutely sure to touch on? One last thing I just wanted to throw out, you know, we've mainly been talking Rocky Mountain elk. You did mention Thule elk. California does have the Thule elk, the Roosevelt and the Rocky Mountain elk. Um, you know, the Roosevelt elk can be found all up the coast. It's super awesome hunting. It's brutal tough. Most of the tags are over the counter. You're going to earn any bull you kill. But, um, you know, there's there's definitely other options out there other than just the Rocky Mountain. But that's kind of the popular one that most of us chase. Um, unless you like hunting in the thick, nasty, <laughs> can't see your hand in front of your face, then, you know, maybe that jungle and the Roosevelt's would be, you know, something you should be looking at. Well, and I think, uh, you know, if anybody's going for their, uh, going for their, their slam, definitely going to have to get out there. Mm -hmm. You're also probably going to pay a lot of money because let's face it, the likelihood of you actually drawing a Thule tag in your lifetime is, I mean, I think you probably have better odds drawn sheep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. California gives up to two desert sheep tags and they only give one elk tag and it could be a uh, Roosevelt, a Rocky, a Thule, or even a cow tag. It's just whoever gets drawn first. Yep. We, you know, that's one thing I will say 
occasionally, we, well, oftentimes we get asked, what should I not be applying for? And I'll go out on a limb here and I'll say California, unless you're a California resident, right? Uh, don't, don't chase elk uh, in California. I would also add Oregon, unless you're doing the over-the-counter stuff. Um, are, is it going to stay over-the-counter for the Roosevelt's, Robert? It is. Yep. Okay. Same with the blacktail. Everything on the west, you know, edge is going to stay over the counter. Okay. But I wouldn't chase elk points necessarily in Oregon and Washington would be my number one. Don't do it just because as a non-resident it's, it's like 600 bucks a year, the better part of $600 a year it's going to cost you to build a point because they force you to buy a tag in order to go into the draw. And then they give you really crummy hunt options. You know, most of the state like on the Eastern side is spike only. Don't get me wrong. They have some branch antler bull hunts as well for, for multiple weapons, uh, rifle, muzzleloader and archery. But for the most part, it's a tough, it's tough sailing to build points in Washington, a lot of money. And they force you to take the tag um, for not very good hunts with poor success rates. No. And that's one reason like in the hunting pool, we don't really go into depth on the deer and the elk in Washington. It's just for that reason. You know, we look at the cost benefit for non-residents when we cover states in the hunting pool magazine, we always cover them from the non-resident perspective. We do include some resident draws and things like that, but it's mainly from the non-resident perspective. And Washington is just not a state that we're going to really recommend a guy um, to be applying for if he doesn't live there. Yep. All right, y'all. Well, make sure you head on over to the Hunt Fool website. Check out the uh, all the draw draw dates listed out. Make sure you're not missing the uh, states you need to put in for, as we have detailed out here. Make sure you also check out the draw cost calculator that's going to really help you understand your out-of-pocket, your upfront costs for for these draws. And finally, make sure you use code TWI60. Get 60 free days of a Hunt and Fool digital membership to really work the system, (laughs) figure out your plan for applications, uh, really get in there and check out the the value that this service uh can really offer guarantee that afterwards uh, you will want to continue that membership throughout the year. So make sure you check it out. That's code TWI 60 guys. I think that'll, I think that'll do it uh, for the species this year. Um, Maybe next year we'll get into some more wild stuff. Who knows? But uh, thank you so much for hopping on. Yeah. Best of luck to everyone. Thank you very much, Sam. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sam. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this episode of The Wild Initiative. Make sure to check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. Y'all, I want to say a big thank you to both Jared and Robert for hopping on the podcast and sharing all of this super valuable information with y'all. Hope y'all were taking notes. Make sure, again, I can't harp on this enough. There's no reason for you not to head on over to huntandfool.com, the Hunt and Fool website, sign up for a digital membership using that TWI 60 code gets you 60 free days. Y'all this will get you through all your application planning, all of that stuff. See what is so valuable about the service. And again, check out those free tools on the, uh, on the website. Uh, Make sure you check out that list of draw dates and check out that hunt cost calculator. See what you're going to be paying out of pocket. All right, y'all, that'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. 
thank you for listening to the Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. 